I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, a weekly podcast on happiness and work culture. Hi, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. You can follow us on Twitter or catch up with previous episodes. And you can you can find that by searching for us on Twitter, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, or at the, our website is eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. On Twitter, a few things are tweeted this week. A brilliant TED Talk by Anita Woolley. And I'll be talking to Professor Anita Woolley in a couple of weeks' time. But she was talking about collective intelligence and how many women you need in a team to maximise your impact. I think you'll love that. Homework is make sure you take the reading the mind in the eyes test. Everyone at my work took that today. In two weeks, our episode is with Daniel Coyle who has an interest, an incredible book coming out called The Culture Code. And excitingly, we're looking to bring him to the UK for a breakfast event in March. So details of that coming on our Twitter as well. Um, definitely, the, this, the final thing I'm keen to hear about is your opinions on pub culture. Was your work very pub-based? Did you feel excluded by pub culture? Do you wish that you had more of a pub culture at your work? I'm really interested in this British phenomenon of, of pub cultures and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing. So email me, podcast at eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. Very keen to hear your views. So today's episode is with two of the founders of Second Source. Let me introduce them before I go on to explain what Second Source do. Louise Ridley is a freelance journalist and editor, was previously the long form and special projects editor at BuzzFeed. Hello. Kirsty Brewer is uh, a freelance writer and writes on women, social affairs, inequality, published in, in publications like The Guardian. Hi, Bruce. Hello there. And so both are co-founders of The Second Source. And we should probably sort of explain what The Second Source is. The, uh, the, the website for The Second Source says that you're a group of women journalists trying to tackle sexual harassment in the media industry. Their website says it prom- they want to promote awareness of the problem, inform people of their rights and work with organisations to create change. Have I got that right? Very much so, yeah. So what's so what what's the what's the movement that's created the second source, and how you found yourselves here, female journalists working in in, I guess you know, uh, the journalistic profession, and and how you found yourself setting up this campaigning movement. It was very much something that followed on from the Me Too movement, which is sort of ongoing, and the Harvey Weinstein. Uh, scandal back in October so around that time sort of everyone around the world I think especially women I guess started discussing experiences and what they thought about the, the Harvey Weinstein sexual misconduct allegations uh, we are we were just so me and Kirsty sitting here didn't know each other before this okay. and we're um, among a big group of female journalists who all knew one other person but they didn't know everyone and this group kind of formed initially chatting on WhatsApp about experiences that we heard uh, what we wanted to do about these issues within our industry because this exists in every industry it's 
not just Hollywood. Um, so we're thinking about journalism and the media. And we just thought that as well as sharing stories, which is really, really important and which has led to this movement, we wanted to try and do something about it. So we formed a public campaign. We meet up. We're going to try and do research. And we are offering a sort of alternative networking opportunity for women and trying to help organisations change and hopefully reduce sexual harassment. And so we're going to go on and talk about some of the things that you covered. But for, for people who might be listening to this, let's just go through the specifics is this like a whatsapp group that people are gradually adding more people to and they're sharing their stories or is it just like a gradually expanding collection of people because you occasionally hear in parliament don't you you occasionally hear about these these google docs that are going around with lists of names does it does it start like that i mean it initially started as a whatsapp group yes but i think we want to make it clear we're not a naming and shaming organisation yeah. so it's gone beyond just sharing stories and there's a core group of us uh, I think there's about 20 of us um, and we're going to be running a series of events we did our first event last year but so we are reaching out to everyone to all we met women journalists to come to these events and we will be setting up different working groups um, so yeah it's an ongoing ongoing thing and we've got a kind of clear purpose now so mm. And WhatsApp is really important for staying in touch, but we very much move beyond that in that we meet up regularly, we have wine and coffee and we meet and, and chat and we also use things like Slack. So, you know, we're a more organised organisation than just chatting on WhatsApp yeah. now as well. And let's look at the, the objectives of it, because I'm really interested in, um, I guess, for me, there's like a big spectrum and you mentioned Harvey Weinstein there and probably at the other end of that spectrum but maybe it, it's actually in the middle is for me the thing that really stands out is Joe Brand's intervention on Ian Hislop on Have I Got News For You and and this is probably a couple of months ago uh, now, in fact I'll play a, a brief clip of it here because it's Joe Brand expressing really her I guess exhaustion with this climate of continuous sludging against women. So here's the brief clip of, of Joe Brand. OK, try the next one. Tory MP takes his what to the cinema? Own sweets. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just sensible. It's personal trainer. There we go. Yes, yeah, some of this is not high-level crime, is it? No, Compared no, to, say, no, no, Putin or Trump. <laughs> but yeah. if I can just say, as the only representative yes. of the female gender here today, I know it's not high level, but it doesn't have to be high level for women to feel under siege in somewhere like the House of Commons. And actually for women, if you're constantly being harassed, even in a small way, that, that builds up and, mm. and that wears you down. And I'm interested, do you see that as the opposite end of the spectrum or is that halfway down the spectrum? I think that it all exists on the same continuum and it's not really about kind of a hierarchical top trumps of, you know, what, which abuse is worse or it's it's really all comes down to the same thing, which is about having power and privilege as a man and feeling entitled and to a woman's time or a woman's attention or her body and putting that above the feelings of of the woman. Um so, yeah, and I think maybe, you know, thinking that your voice is more important, it's all on the same continuum. So I think while, you know, Harvey Weinstein's this prolific monster, actually the kind of abuses that happen are very every day and it doesn't just have to be one sort of explosive traumatic event. It could be, as we were saying earlier, like death by a thousand cuts, really, and I think that's what Joe Brand is 
um, alluding to that it, it is very exhausting. It's very wearing just in everyday life to be belittled and undermined or sexist banter, you know, and comments. Um, it, it kind of wears you down and it undermines you and it disempowers women. So it's really, we're really looking for a cultural change and mindset. And I think as well as a spectrum of different things that have happened to people, there's also a spectrum of awareness. So we acknowledge that Harvey Weinstein hopefully knew he was incredibly abusive and, and awful. But there are some men, it's not always men, as we say, it's women in positions of power as well in some cases, who aren't aware that these little everyday things are happening. So it's also about making people who might have had good intentions and just not quite realised the small things that were going on to be aware of them and, and help kind of join this push for change that I think we're seeing in loads of industries. What strikes me at, uh, is that the effectiveness of the movement was so powerful last year you know susan fowler went from timidly writing a blog post thinking it was going to have repercussions against her to being named financial times person of the year she was part of the time magazine people of the year she was number two on the um on the recode top 100 like incredible success and my fear is that this isn't there just going to be a risk of normalization of this that Effectively, that was last year's news headline. So how does an organisation like yours try to... Do you have a goal of how to keep it top of mind? Because you mentioned this isn't a naming and shaming. This Mm. isn't setting out to create a a climate of fear in journalism, but I guess to establish a new normal. Is that that right? Yeah, I think normalisation is so important in that what's been happening in the past is a a normalisation of these small everyday harassments that have been going on and we obviously want to challenge that but we also we want to normalize the the reaction to it which has been going on which is kind of the me too campaign as you've said so i guess for us it's about keeping the conversation going about meeting people up in person i think is really important so we said we're going to keep holding events aimed at women in the media primarily or anyone in the media who says they've suffered uh, any kind of sexual harassment or anything like that and i think i mean this is a huge thing we, we were talking earlier before meeting with you and so she used to think about like what can we research to try and look at the extent of this problem in our industry? How can we think about HR? How can we think about promotions? How can we think about freelance work? And all the much wider gender issues that this ties into, because we're very much of the belief, I think, looking at Kirsty as well, that we're talking about sexual harassment, but this completely links into, for example, equal pay and power balances in the workplace. So all of this is completely tied in together because it's the same culture, it's the same cultural problem. Yeah, and I think, you know, for a lot of women, while this is a kind of hot topic, uh, you know, on the front pages at the moment, um, and yeah, you're right, maybe media does move on, women have actually, you know, long had these issues and actually have been discussing it with, among other women, and, you know, you hear about these whisper networks, and I think that that won't really go away, and you can't really close the lid on that now. I think there's a big momentum, and I think this is a really good time for change. The thing that really struck me... uh, I guess there's a danger by us not going to a few specifics, then this just seems thematically like the trends that have existed before. So one, one thing I was really struck by was one of your co-founders, Emily Reynolds, wrote this this Medium post, this blog post. Um, I, don't, I guess this was right at the start of when all these things started. And this was called An Incomplete List of the Men in Media Who Wronged Me. And I think for me... It was the fact that she went into specifics that that seemed to be exacerbated by the fact she was a contract worker. And there seems to be something in mm. that, that when there's a unfair balance of power, when someone's requiring work on a month to month basis, 
these these room for exploitation. But I, I just thought I'd go into, forgive me, a couple of the specific details there because I wonder if you could then say how common these are based on your group so she she talks about how an older guy who was um, a manager in a, in a managerial position sent her a dick pic and then immediately sent her an email introducing her to someone important and i think the way that she describes it is that it's it's transactional it's trying to very clearly associate you know a quid pro quo that obviously is, is un, undesired but saying if you know, if you stay connected with me through this dialogue, there's some good things that can happen professionally. I mean, that's that's remarkable. Then she was just talking about, I guess, the sort of stuff that is on the Ian Hislop theme. People saying, how can you get that into your pretty little head? Just really infantilization of language and gentle put-downs, but probably, like you say, you know, in aggregate, can act as... As a thousand cuts. Are these things, I mean, the dick pic, that seems horrific to me that that can exist in a professional environment. But is this what people are saying when you get together and sharing their experiences? Yeah, definitely. Again, it is very everyday for a lot of women. I think Emily's story is horrific, but it's also not remarkable in the sense that, yeah, we hear kind of stories like that all the time and people have experienced those kind of things. And I think that's why it's problematic because our industry is so, it is such a casual informal industry which relies a lot on sort of hustling and informal networks so going for coffees with people going for drinks and that opens you up to you know potentially um, bad situations with men because uh, you know a lot of the commissioning editors or people with those kind of powers are gonna, are going to be men and um, yeah I mean it's difficult you know do you stay you know you're warned don't stay for the last orders at the bar with this person or don't go out for a drink with this person but yeah as Emily's story um kind of shows a lot of it's hand in hand it's not very clear you know yeah you might get a great commission or you might this is a great contact but at the same time you have to put up with you know ridiculous abuse or situations and it's very difficult Mm. and you have to work very hard to get there so I think a lot of people might think well why should I have to give up this and cut off those networks you know because of that it's really difficult Mm. the thing that's really clear to me from Emily's piece is she she uses the phrase emotionally draining and potentially devastating to have to call these things out and you can definitely see the conflict that exists there then when someone's trying to get their foot on the ladder second job first job they're trying to get commissioned on more pieces to put themselves in a position where they need to be calling things out Mm. while, while it might feel the righteous and correct thing to do I can imagine the sense of conflict and burden that she she talks about mm. is is quite potent. Yeah, I mean, to call something like this out in your workplace, you're essentially being a sort of whistleblower to your own mm-hmm. experience, aren't you? And, and it comes with all those kinds of pressures. People have, we've spoken to people who've left companies because no one did anything, or people who've had their work dropped, you know, who've essentially been fired because they've raised these kinds of issues. So you're risking losing your livelihood, and there's a huge mental health toll about depending, you know, how traumatic an incident was. But if it was something that was really, really upsetting to have to go through it and tell people, especially if it's of a sexual nature, you're talking at work, that's incredibly difficult to go through. Um, so the mental health issues around this are really, really big. So once you speak out, that's sometimes the beginning of quite a difficult journey. So it does take immense bravery. And I think that's something we really shouldn't forget as this hopefully continues to be talked about every time someone speaks out, they're going through something new, even though we've all been talking about these kind of things for a couple of months now. Yeah, and especially if you're, the starting point is one of dis, you know, disbelief or disregard or trying to explain away what might have happened or trivialising it, it is exhausting for, for women to have to go through that. And 
yeah, this does take a huge toll on you. There's a lot of online abuse as well in terms of um, if people speak out, they might get strangers abusing them online. Troll. It tends to be a big magnet for trolls whenever yeah. women write mm. about any kind of gender or sexual issues. So you get that as well, which is obviously a lovely <laughs> double burden <laughs> to experience. But tell me this. Are you guys up, are you guys optimistic about it? The, the, I asked that question because I saw just over the Christmas period there was an anonymous letter from Vice UK employees. And look, I don't want to put you in difficult positions, you're both freelancers, but, you know, a, the, an anonymous letter by female Vice employees where they they raised some issues and they, I think under sort of a, a non-diplume, they raised some issues. And then I saw someone tweeting as a follow-up to it, someone saying that the way that that had been responded to was that the women were being heavily questioned and the company was going into lockdown. And look, you know, it strikes me it's a reminder that while we paint HR as benign and helpful, HR in a unsavory organisation are the secret police. Their job is to protect the, the... the HR's job is to protect the company, not to protect the individual. Sometimes we forget that. It's a bit like an estate agent thing. You mm-hmm. think the estate agent's on your side. He's working for the vendor. HR are working for the company. Are you optimistic? I guess that was a long way of me me asking, are you optimistic about this? Yeah, I think, you know, whether we, nonetheless, we have to work with HR, they are a fundamental part of the company. So we are in the process of contacting all the media organisations in the UK and trying to speak with their HR and engage with them and ask them for their, what their sexual harassment policies are, what their processes are. So we have a picture, you know, it's just quite a pragmatic starting point, really, to start with that. Um, But we do acknowledge that you know, some people fall outside the remit of HR, people on insecure work or contracts, and also a lot of people don't get to HR in the first place. So there's obviously a huge workplace culture conversation that needs to happen. But, you know, we want to find out what the industry standard is and where the holes are and then work from there, really. Yeah. I think with the with the Vice letter, obviously, if what's in that letter is going on, it's very concerning. But it's a really good example of people coming together. So the fact that lots of these female vice writers have joined together to put out a letter, they've had to put it under an, no one's name. These are the kind of stakes that people are playing with. And again, it's another reason to remember that it's not just that Harvey Weinstein was awful and we've all agreed he's awful and we can close the door on that. It's proper sort of battles going on within workplaces that are incredibly important and will make the difference as to whether you have female leaders in companies it's incredibly serious i think that's why the second source is important because we're showing people that they're not alone they're not alone and we do see them and we have got their back and it's not trivial and it is valid so i think that's really important and on a rare positive note obviously we're talking about really grim subjects but we've all found it amazingly supportive and wonderful to come together with this group of about 20 or sort of almost 30 of us in total kind of on the outskirts I didn't know almost any of these women before. I'd heard of them because we're all sort of fellow journalists. And now I've got all these amazing friends and we're so supportive of each other in our careers. It's become an amazing network that has made quite a difference to my life, at least. I don't know if Kirsty would yeah, say definitely. the same. But it, and you, when you find people who care about something like sexual harassment, which is obviously an incredibly serious thing, you have a network of people who are incredibly like-minded in terms of what they think companies should be like and how people should be treated at work. And it's really empowering. So that's, yeah. that's a good outcome of, of obviously an initially grim situation. It is incredibly great and empowering so far. I was, I was chatting to uh, an HR person today and I was saying, you know, I would like to see companies come out and make a pledge that they're not going to 
by you know silence agreements from people who are wronged or they're not going to protect the, the the people and the the HR person I was chatting to said yeah but ultimately the job is to try and protect the company's reputation and so if company A has this sexual harassment case they don't want it reaching court so they they buy someone's silence on it and simultaneously I get that but then I'm, I'm sort of deeply despondent about it you've seen stories that eventually come to light which are you know this person went to another company got a job and then actually the attention was drawn to the fact that they were paid off from their last place number one they shouldn't be paid off if they've done this but number two you know they were given big leaving due they were they were given sort of a good reference strikes me that I'm I'm thrilled that you're talking to HR company, uh, HR mm. departments, because the more pressure that can be kept, it seems to be like, you know, if we can make it seem like companies are having to pledge that they're committed to these things, then it seems that important, important yeah. stake. I think it would be hard. I, I hope that it will be harder for HR companies to just brush us under the carpet or issue non-disclosure agreements. Um, I mean, I think they seem to be in some cases swifter to act now because it is on the mainstream agenda and... I think if there's a more of a community of women speaking out and empowering each other and working together, then it is harder to kind of silence those voices if there's lots of voices. Yeah, and despite suspecting that there's probably gaps in terms of policies and things at media organisations, we've seen lots of people get suspended and even fired um, since the Harvey Weinstein allegations. So obviously companies are taking action and that's that's heartening and it's probably because of all the chat in the media. So it does mean something that has made tangible difference already. It's really good to know that. Tell me this. So... In the week that we're recording this, James Franco has had like a remarkable week from going from Golden Globe winning <laughs> to, you know, in a in a Me Too style situation. And then uh, Aziz Ansari's had the same. Are these things helpful to the movement or are they... Are they a distraction? Because they, they're very... They're very clearly on... A, on a spectrum of male toxicity, right? You know, the Aziz Ansari, as much as I can see it, and I'm just a, an outside person looking at it, looks like a really horrible, um, insensitive date gone wrong. It, it, it sort of feels like someone pushing sexuality too far. But is that helpful that there's this continuous volume of things? Or do you think it, it deadens the impact of the stories? I think probably both of those perspectives on that are true. I mean, we obviously support anyone coming forward with any kind of thing that's made them uncomfortable. So that in terms of the right of women to speak out, whether it's a difficult date or a workplace harassment situation, we'd support that. But when you talk about things like um, the Aziz Ansari allegation, that it's, it's really interesting. It's very different. It's not in a workplace. It is a date gone horribly wrong. Um, from what I read, you can't really tell whether whether he wasn't aware and is very sorry or was doing something consciously bad. But the thing that, that makes this quite a good example of of um, people say that this is a witch hunt, there's been that sort of claim that, that women are trying to bring down powerful men in whatever industry. And the Aziz Ansari example is really good because the um, date that I believe he sort of allegedly went on, the woman did raise it with him at the time and she showed some text messages saying that she raised feeling uncomfortable and he replied and said he wasn't aware and apologised. So that was a private incident between them that was resolved. And the woman who's anonymous says that she came forward more recently publicly um, yesterday or whenever she did this week because she saw him supporting the Hollywood Time's Up campaign and felt that he was being hypocritical about it. So in that case, you can see very, very clearly that it's not a witch hunt. She didn't when that happened, she didn't use it to bring down some famous actor, etc., um, etc. Et 
she's speaking out because his public demeanor didn't seem to match up with what she knew about him privately and that is the whole issue that we're talking about yeah. if you think of weinstein very powerful famous popular man um and all these things were going on privately that were horrible and it's very important that those two sides of someone's persona match up not linking the you know not saying that the aziz anzari allegations are linked to the weinstein allegations in that kind of way but it's this gap between public and private that we're kind of breaking through by having these conversations and and they are uncomfortable and they are on a huge spectrum but it's it's the fact that lots of men might be supporting these kinds of campaigns and perhaps not checking their own behavior and not being aware of it which we're fine with as i say you we're we acknowledge that someone might have done something and made someone uncomfortable and not known and those are the blurry areas but if someone tells you then you know and you think about it so it's it's the vocalizing of all these things is helpful but yes when you when you talk about sort of a famous actor and a a date that's gone wrong and been been pressured and uncomfortable uh, allegedly it's not the same as someone being abused when they're working for a contract for a media organization so it does get blurry and you bring up a lot of sort of complex gender arguments but we're we're happy to try and have them definitely Yeah, and I think that it is painful and it is unwieldy and overwhelming. <coughs> Sorry. And um, yeah, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people, but there's such an outpouring because, you know, people, ha- women haven't really had a platform to speak um, in this way before. So I think it, we can't really, you know, it would be very problematic for us to say, oh, okay, we've had, we've, we've heard enough now. Can you not share your story? I mean, it's every story is valid and every story should be heard I think and every story the starting point should be one of believing them and listening to them because as Louise mentioned it is really hard to come forward with those kind of stories tell me this so when you both started out in media did you have any idea that these things would happen is this is this this is look you know I'll be honest with you um it's sort of male white privilege but I was oblivious to these things happening. I, I saw something recently in the follow-up to Harvey Weinstein, and someone said, "Okay, everyone involved in Hollywood said it was obvious. Everyone knew his name." <laughs> and so I said to the people who worked with me, and I said to other people, "I said, so if we found ourselves in that situation, who are the people it's obvious about? Because they don't—they're not screaming out to me." And uh, I think actually, my perspective as a man. I, I was just oblivious to some things that maybe weren't there. Are these are society things, or was it just far more evident in a freelance-infused work environment like journalism? Actually, it was just stepped up an, another gear. So, and and as, as I guess as a consequence of that, is it then just in journalism and just in show business, or is this is this everywhere? I know there's two questions there. Mm. But. I think. All industries are very different. And if we look back to the Harvey Weinstein example, that's an example in which he was able to uh, be abusive because of the situations he was in with rooms and massages and all these kinds of things. Um, but if you think about journalism, for example, the what uh, sort of going into journalism as a young person, no, I didn't know. And, I, and I'd happily say that I didn't know about the extent of, of things I've heard until we all started talking about this a right. few months ago. You know, it's. I think it's it's not some sort of smug thing where where the people who knew everything should be really proud in fact quite the opposite in some cases but i'm happy to say that having now talked to lots more women in journalism of a really similar level and sort of age to me i've learned about lots of things i didn't know about because i personally haven't experienced that much harassment and of course no one knows that much beyond their own perspective until we all start talking about it and that's kind of what's happening now so i wouldn't expect lots of men in any all industries to know about anything in their own industry if it was only women and no one was listening you know it's so it's 
quite understandable that anyone would feel that way, I think. Um, what's the second part of your question? Sorry. Yeah, and just whether the, whether this is therefore exclusive to these sort of contract-heavy, freelance-heavy industries. I'm interested. I saw that, you know, there's not much evidence that this has spilled into other in- industries, but I saw that this had gone into, I guess, theatrical and television work with Not Surprising... Uh, is it going to go elsewhere? Yeah, I think is it, it strength in numbers. I think it absolutely is a problem across all industries, and yeah, we've we're already in conversation with other industries about their own um, respective groups that they're that they're organising. Uh, I think you know, looking at Hollywood or even women in journalism, we have a partic- we have a certain platform. We have columns, or we have. Um, you know, we have fame in terms of actresses, maybe. Uh, so I think one of the important things is to remember that there are a lot of people that don't have that voice or that platform at all. So we have to champion them as well. I think the the Time, the Time magazine, the Silence Breakers, Women of the Year, Person of the Year, they they had a dishwasher in there and they had a fruit picker. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, the dishwasher was talking about her supervisor making advances and her turning him down and then he cut her shifts and cut her hours and messed her around with with her shifts uh, and she was felt very disempowered by that and I think there's that's probably the case with lots of lots of women all over the world so and they don't have a voice or a platform so I think that's one of the great things about the Time's Up movement is that they are creating this legal aid fund where they will help women who come forward and pay their legal fees because obviously they're extortionate and a lot that that writes off a lot of women from being able to take that kind of action right Okay, and is that? Do you think that will come to the UK? Do you think that that's Time's Up is American, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think there are. I'm sure if right. if there aren't already things right. going on that there you know should, that yeah. it's yeah. very much an excellent idea and it's definitely been received and welcomed worldwide. I think their fund is probably only for American yeah. victims of of this kind of thing, but I'm sure there'll be similar stuff in the UK. And we, you know, we're we're very much sharing the same sentiment. We're not fundraising currently for legal defence, but I'm sure other other organisations will will be springing up doing that quite Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Let's do this. Right, so someone has 
checked themselves. A man, right? Okay, someone listening, a man. They've checked themselves. They think their previous dating behaviour has been good, exemplary. They haven't. They don't think they've done any of these things. I mean, maybe they have done bad things, and they, and they need to make amends for that. They're in an office now. And they've probably, you know, what should that person be thinking? What should that person be doing? Should they be, uh, I don't know, you, you tell me, what, what are the sort of small micro steps that every every man should be doing in an office environment? I think it's definitely men and women because like a big part of this thing is that, yes, a lot of the victims of sexual harassment are women, but we're very aware it can be men as well. It's really a power issue. In terms of little things that people can do, I think it's completely just about awareness. So being aware of the power structure around you. Work is a really clear one, and that's what we campaign around in the second source. So if you're at work in the office, think about who's around you and think about the decisions that are being made. So particularly perhaps if you're a white man, but think about who's being invited to that important meeting, who's being invited to speak on that panel, because this all comes, obviously that doesn't, doesn't seem like it might directly relate to sexual harassment, but it all comes back to representation and just listening to people. So, um, for example, there's been some men who started refusing doing all-male panels, um, which I think is a really admirable thing. You know, it's just a gesture, but it will just make the organiser of that panel think, oh yeah, I should have invited <laughs> hopefully more than one woman, but a woman. And when you get more perspectives like that, you get a culture shifting where there are people who have more experience at this kind of thing. I think another really important thing to do is just listen to people. And if you hear a comment that you think is is inappropriate or you see someone being treated in a way that just makes sparks some little things in your head, whether that be a woman or perhaps a person of colour or someone who's in any kind of minority or unusual situation in your workplace, ask them if it was okay. Um, we've talked about this and no one appreciates someone going up to them and just saying, have you experienced sexual harassment? Because that probably could be a, a question with a traumatic answer if they have. But if you witness something, you can just say, I heard, I noticed that guy say that to you. Are you all right? Did you like, did you think that was bad? And then just start that conversation because so much of this has been private and secret. So just kind of, it's that, it sounds basic, but it's obviously what's not been happening is people just being a bit more aware and just looking out for people. And if you think someone's been treated unfairly, tell them you think that and tell them that, you support them you can help them go and tell someone if they need to and, and help them work out what to do about it yeah great definitely it's about being mindful of as louise said who's represented in that room and who who you're giving a platform to i mean i've been a commissioning editor in the past and we were we were quite good at thinking about who we were commissioning um and you know is it all men that we're commissioning and also who who's speaking in the pieces themselves if you know if it's all sort of a piece of where it's all male experts you could probably f try and find a woman to speak in that piece of so that there's another voice there's a brevity of different voices um and just small things like that and yeah panels and just being aware of equality and who's speaking and whose voice is dominant there and are you hearing from everyone is really important i've found with the panel thing that if you tell a panel organizer that you won't participate if there's a, if there's no women even if someone pulls out at the last minute that means that it's only men so i've said to people specifically i want you to know that even if the woman that you've got lined up pulls out i will not contribute to the panel mm -hmm. so if you've only got one woman you are leaving yourself exposed that's a great to doing tactic. that yeah. uh, then <laughs> yeah. then they it forces them to take the risk for it and i have to say these certain industries the sports industry seem unwilling to do that maybe it's because of the people who work in sport but um but most industries gulp but take the ownership of it 
Mm. So. I think as well as just women, we, we want to... We're an intersectional organisation, so it can't just be white women. You have to be conscious of women of colour as well and with disabilities. And, you know, it's not just white women. So it's being conscious of all of that. And, yeah, maybe one woman on the panel isn't enough. And that's a great tactic of, to say that you you won't be on it if the, the one woman on the panel drops out. <laughs> so so to wrap up, if someone's listening to this now and, and you know, the, you're in the journalistic profession. So if they wanted to get involved in Second Source, what would they do to get involved? Uh, we've got a website, which is thesecondsource.co.uk, and we're on Twitter with the second source and second is spelt two nd in that one. Um, but you can also, if you go to the website, you can see all our names. We're all very accessible on Twitter because we're journalists, uh, so can very much be found that way, or you know, found by our emails on our websites, that kind of thing. And we're very keen to chat and help anyone. They don't have to have experienced sexual harassment. They might want to help us out. They might want to just have a chat about careers we're very much here to help and as i say we kind of see this as being linked into the wider culture and structure of our industry we want this to be a positive thing so a lot of it is also about creating an alternative network for women which is why we're doing our events and we, the one we we had um, at the end of last year was very positive and very, everyone came around came away feeling very good i think and there was a great sense of community and we want to do that in the new year as well yeah, so I mean, I heard feedback from the event that you had, and actually, you know, laughter filled, and there was a lot of positive things. So you're saying, if someone feels affected by these issues, they're not going to turn up, and they're not going to be sort of in this morose surroundings. It's it's actually quite a positive, positive movement you're trying to create. Yeah, here. and that is important, and it and to be honest, that does play into the idea of how we keep this conversation on the table because it is so serious, but also you know we are dynamic people and we're all talking about careers in life and there's obviously lots of joy in that so we keep that up in our conversations and our events as well i think just you know to to, to finish off i'm just first I, i'm just so inspired by the fact that you in such a short period of time have pulled this organization together and and developed some momentum and i really hope it acts as inspiration to other industries and other groups of people to get involved you know i would love the response to what you're doing to be companies having to make commitments that they're not going to protect the people who are who have got us into this situation really and and, and companies making vocal stands to say that they're they're sort of setting up firm lines on these things yeah we'd love that too <laughs> yeah definitely great well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you again, once again, to Louise Ridley and to Kirsty Brewer. Thank you. Uh, all of the episodes are up on the website, which is eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. And I'm always interested to hear from you. You can, you can tweet me or you can add me on LinkedIn. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.